baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Miss something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Don't stress. Listen to the podcast at WTIC.com or on the free Odyssey app. Good afternoon. Let's talk to Fred in Middletown. Hello, Fred. Hey, hey. Uh, so I was prompted to call by the news. The um, I want to call coincidence, not on uh, two body cams that are coming out today. The uh, the five police officers beating someone to death, and uh, Nancy Pelosi and uh, what's his name, Paul Hammerpants Pelosi, as someone called him. That video, I suggest that the one video is going to completely swamp the other, the, the five police beating death. Yeah, but is, I mean, did you see something uh, in, that needed to be covered up in the Pelosi video? I'm saying that's far more important. I just heard a little bit of it today. What it is, the man apparently had like a, a male prostitute who was like a uh, neurodiverse nearly street person, totally you're, crazy. You're saying that this guy who attacked Paul Pelosi was welcomed into the home by Pelosi. Yes, I mean, well, that seems to be, yeah. Yeah, I, I just that, don't know if the if the video pushes that story along at all. I'm pretty sure that, that it locks it in, but so uh, taking for argument's sake that it does, that's the far bigger story because yeah. there's the thing that happened. Yeah, yeah. But then the whole oh. machinery <laughs> came to say something else happened. That tells you something. Yeah. Well, that's and, uh, that could be pretty interesting if it plays out that way, Fred. Thank you so much for the call. We've got to run to a traffic update. Isn't that interesting? Mark Chrisser in the BPS Lawyers Traffic Center. We're breaking no news at this moment because we want all attention on Mark. It's the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. WTIC, good afternoon. We'll take more calls in a few minutes, but... We've got a guest joining us now. I'm kind of pleased to talk. No, I'm more. I'm excited to talk to talk with uh, this guy because he's a young man and he's a, in college still, I believe, a senior in college in Pennsylvania. And he's a uh, advocate, a fighter, uh, an activist for small government. So I'm excited about that. Benjamin Severs joins us now on WTIC. Do you go by Benjamin or Ben or both? I go by both, but you can just call me Ben. Okay, good. Ben, it's uh, it's wonderful to I've heard you on a video debate and uh, it's fun to hear you being so sophisticated about ideas of small government at such an early age. How did this happen to you? Yeah, um, in high school, I uh, actually read Henry Hazlitt's Economics in One Lesson, and that kind of sent me spiraling down the pit, I guess, of uh, the rabbit hole, you could say. Uh, free market economics and limited government, and I kind of got into uh, more no of no government. So you can eliminate it all and uh, privatize everything. That's that's kind of what got me going. 
So I had a caller earlier uh, this hour, or last hour, I'm sorry, who was um, taking me to task. He said, I don't understand this. How are you going to defend the nation if you don't have a government? Who Who's the military? What's the answer yeah. to that? Yeah, it's a it's a tough it's a tough question. Uh, it's certainly one that I struggled with early on. But if you if you look at just American history, uh, for the early days, you didn't really have a standing military. And some of the some of the like the best wins that we had in the American Revolution were was from guerrilla warfare, not a not a formal standing army. So you had these kind of the struggle with the early American history between formal. Uh, uh, organized government-run militaries and uh, guerrilla warfare, and you know there's 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 instances of Native American tribes. You know that a lot of there's a lot of anarchism and no government in the Native American tribes. And com- the Comanche out in the West, they would actually have like these war parties that were more voluntarily organized, and they were able to, for a long time at least, uh, prevent foreign. Uh, I'm sorry aggression from american military mm-hmm. uh towards their towards their villages and so on and you know they had private security and stuff like the old american west uh, gaelic ireland the uh, medieval iceland and you even have private security today uh pri- I, I believe private security guards outnumber public security by by a large margin and same thing with private military uh if you during the obama years at least uh there were the private military troops outnumbered American military troops in Afghanistan, but I think I think it was by, from by three to one. So you have the infrastructure there, and who's making all this stuff? You have private companies making these things. So you imagine if it's privatized, uh, it would go back to the private sector, private demand. It would actually reflect people's preferences more. So right now you have war making abroad, immense war making abroad, and you have to ask yourself: Is all this really necessary? And I think the libertarian, the small government uh, answer to that is no. One of the uh, one of the hard things, Ben, is trying to explain something that's invisible to people. You know, you're trying to show the damage done by the fact that we spend a trillion dollars a year on our military. And that that one's more obvious than most of them. But it's still, you've got to convince somebody. So this guy said, well, I got a pretty good education because I'd been going on about public schools and what a disaster it is and how many Mm -hmm. kids are left behind and how much permanent poverty is a result of the school systems. And imagine how exciting the schools would be if if people got a gift certificate every year and got to go out, you know, families could go out and shop for the best school that matched the needs of their kids and how vibrant that education would be and, and how much richer the result would be and not you know you wouldn't be trying to squeeze uh, over 50 percent of kids who are doing acceptable or adequate work but you'd actually have uh, people being inventive and and motivated and and passionate about the careers that they were tracking themselves on yeah yeah the same the same principles apply to the military so it, it's all economics it's all human action everyone people are rational the same rules that apply to pretty much every other good and service that you consume also apply to security, law and order, and so on. And it's hard for people to make that jump, but I mean, it's very, it, it's it's very it's very easy to see that you know there's a demand and supply for military equipment, soldiers, wars, and so on, and the government stimulates that. The government artificially stimulates that past what consumers 
us, the people who pay the taxes, it's past what we want as a people. Or well, we, we don't even, doing they don't, they won't even have an honest conversation with us about it. They won't even follow yeah. the law about how we go to war as a nation because they don't want to have their fingerprints on it. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they yeah, they, they, they don't want, they don't really care. Like, it's, it's just that. It's it's kind of a power thing too. It's it's maximizing bureaucratic budgets. Uh, it's it's <clears throat> it's benefiting special interest groups, and so on. That that's why that, that's what kind of like kills this honest debate about it. My sense of how government works now is that there is no policy that is made because it's a good policy, and there's there's no program that is launched because it will be an effective program. It is all done based on the electoral benefit that will accrue to the party doing the policy. Yeah, yeah, to benefit the benefit donors. I mean, most most policies are like that. I mean, even stuff is like it's common sense to people, you know, Americans with Disabilities Act. A lot of people are for that. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of incentives and uh, political motivations going on there, especially when you have companies that provide solutions to requirements that the Americans, Americans for Disabilities Act require. So, like, for instance, you have a ADA solutions, Americans with Disabilities Act solutions, that, uh, that exists solely because of the ADA. So they're lobbying government. And it's, it's, even though, like, it's seemingly a, a good thing to have this law, there's these uh, croniest motivations behind them. Yes, and that's why it's a bad thing to have the law, because it is... One, you're you're buying the votes of the constituency, senior citizens. Well, I'm sorry, I'm thinking about the um, I'm thinking about the drug law that Bush passed for the Medicare yeah. adjunct. So you know you, but but it shows very clearly how you can operate on a different. You make the pharmaceutical companies very happy because you're funneling government money into the purchase of drugs, and that's just glorious for the relationship between politicians and and. The corporate world and you're also telling a group of constituents that they're getting a benefit guess what i'm, I'm going to use other people's money that the government has taken from them by force and buy you stuff mm -hmm. and that yep. th that is the those are the forces that drive the policy making in this country yeah and, and there's a very like there's a very uh I, people don't grasp it immediately but if this stuff was actually beneficial to people they would already be doing it. They'd be purchasing it. They'd be willingly coming to the market and bringing and voting with their dollars, so to speak. Um, just like people talk about medic, me medical care. Like you brought that up. I mean, there's so the government has their fingers in all of it, in yes. all of it. And yet the free market gets so much of the blame. They get so much of the hell for it. Like it, it's, 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 it's insane to, to me that when the government runs a lot of hospitals, they have drug patent laws, they have taxes on various things. I remember they had a medical device tax with Obamacare. Um, you have, they're, they're blocking drugs from getting approved, the FDA. Then you have, uh, you have a million other laws. You have Medicare, Medicaid, and it's Social Security as well. And it's just, it's just a mire of government intervention that is not predicated, that is not based on consumer preferences. It's just pushing it to the bureaucrats, letting them decide for the sake of the people that give them give the politicians money. That's all it is. I mean, it, it's it's really a mess. Yeah, and I don't see any cure. And this is the part that I guess is really your bailiwick. We're, we're talking to Ben Sievers. He is a student, a college student in Pennsylvania. 
and also a um, city town councilor. Is that where your position is called in your city? Yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's a borough council in uh, Pennsylvania. So I'm, uh, it's a five-man uh, council. Uh, I'm, the, I'm an elected libertarian on the board there. There's, I think everyone else is a Republican. Uh, so I'm, I'm mainly trying to get stuff done like privatizing trash collection, uh, privatizing security, uh, getting rid of the getting, getting rid of the zoning laws, lowering taxes, lowering spending. What are and, you uh, What are you having any luck with of that of that list <laughs> of agenda items? Um, absolutely none of it. Uh, but but that's the fight. Um, I would say that it's it's a long game. Uh, you got to convince people, and I'm getting people more people on my side as time goes on. Uh, getting the public uh, can, that actually attends the meetings to be convinced is is one of the problems. Um, there's some people that are open to ideas, but they they just want, I think, uh, an expedient way of doing it. Like, they don't want to be put on put on blast. Like, they want people uh, calling them out and getting angry at them. So there's other people who agree with me kind of on some things that uh, that are waiting for, like, an expedient or a uh, convenient time to to uh, do it, but you um, mean where I think, I, I think, where it'll be buried or something where people won't see it happening, or w- when people won't make a big of a deal about it? Because mm-hmm. right now, the the people who really disagree with me are the only people are seemingly the only ones coming to the meetings. So there's a few people who are on my side in the meetings, like the public wise, and mm-hmm. it seems like the council only cares about uh, satisfying the people in the room. Yep. <laughs> and but as uh, as time as time has moved on, it seems like they're coming more on my side, seeing some more, uh, seeing the reasonability of my stances. Is uh, your is I, your the stance that you present to the public in your town council job? Are you presenting yourself as somebody who wants a system that is government free, or do you just talk about the, how much better things could be done if they were done through privatization? Um, it's a mix of both. I think they go hand in hand. I, I mainly present myself as somebody who wants a world that's government free um, because I, I, I do have uh, ethical views concerning it. Um, but I think the, the best argument is the economic one. So I, I explain how more competition in some of these services, allowing people to keep their money, allowing people to do with, with their property what they wish and, and so on, like that is actually beneficial. It's both moral and beneficial. That's kind of the that, that's kind of the unified message, message I'm trying to push. And What's the morality the argument you make, Ben? Um, so the, I, I, I'm, I'm a Christian, personally, and I think that aggression is completely wholly unjustified from the Christian ethics standpoint. Uh, but I also come at it from uh, a natural, more of a natural rights, uh, logical standpoint as well. Um, I don't know if you've ever read uh, or if you've ever heard of uh, the economist Hoppe. Uh, he, uh, he's given kind of a... Uh, ethical, logical argument for the non-aggression principle. And I think it works. Uh, it's mainly that the, the gist of it is that uh, aggression is Ill- illogical or aggression is illogical because one of the presuppositions of argumentation itself is non-aggression between parties. So in order to even argue for aggression, you need to, you, you, you'd be denying <laughs> the, you'd be denying the non-aggression principle which is the precondition of argumentation. So it's kind well, of... You're, well, you're, let me just uh, say that back to you to make sure I understand. You're saying yeah. that because we want people to live their lives by uh, working through conflict and settling conflict through discussion and 
and compromise that uh-huh. because we have the biggest military machine in the world that that forces the rest of the world to engage with us and everybody else from a standpoint of violence being the the backdrop to problem solving not rational thinking um that's more or less what i'm saying yeah um yeah the, the one of the main uh when you when you engage in when you engage with somebody in in discussion with honest discussion you're precluding the uh you you are necessarily precluding the option of violence uh, aggression against that person yes. and in order to live in this uh, society in which we we value truthfulness and justification and argumentation it would be it, non, it would be illogical to even advocate for arguments or for, i mean for aggression yes it would be, be illogical to argue for state control by necessity because the state is founded on violence and aggression and this is unfair. We've just got a minute left. But what's your elevator pitch for why anarcho-capitalism is better than something in between? Yeah. Um, so in, under anarcho-capitalism, you have a system that is not predicated on aggression, not predicated on violence. It actually reflects the preferences of the people that are governed by it rather than the preferences of the people that seek power and the preferences of the people who govern you. And those people are not good-intentioned. You're saying that everything would emanate from the will of the people rather than power structures. Yeah, more or less. There will always be violence. But the best way to handle that is not through a system predicated on violence, not not through a system in which people are actively trying to use violence against you. That is not the best way to eliminate the world of violence and aggression and Mm -hmm. rights violations. Benjamin Sievers, nice to talk with you. Do you have a website or anything? Um, no, I do not have a website, but I do have a Twitter. Um, it's official, uh, I believe, underscore Sievers. Uh, that's my Twitter. You can follow me there. Um, and that's uh, I do have a Mises.org profile. So if you look up my name on Mises.org, uh, I do have a few articles there. So Benjamin Sievers, S-E-E-V-E-R-S. Ben, so nice to meet you. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us. It's been good. Uh, it's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you. Take care. I like it. A young guy who's who already realizes the evils of government while he's in. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Miss something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Don't stress. Listen to the podcast at WTIC.com or on the free Odyssey app. WTIC, I'm just listening to uh, the the 911 call that Paul Pelosi made. They released the tapes today from San Francisco. Interesting stuff. And uh, we've got Pete in East Hartford. Hi, Pete. Hey, good afternoon, Todd. Well, good afternoon to you. 
Hey, you know, I am, you have brilliant listeners, man. And I, I'm going to put myself at the top of the list right now. <laughs> I, said it, I, I said it from moment one. I heard the story and I knew it. I knew it. I mean, I know it's not official yet. And it's just us talking about it. And there's nothing wrong with gay people and so forth and so forth. I have to be politically correct because I know it's Todd's, Todd Feingold's show. But anyhow, I said it was a gay escort. Okay. And you ever see that movie? Um, um, as good as it gets. And remember um, those. Jack Nicholson. That, yeah, with Jack Nicholson. Yeah, remember the um, the gay escorts there that beat up, um, beat what's his name up. Remember no, that I forget, deal? For, I forget about that part. <laughs> anyhow, anyhow, but here's the thing. Look, look, look at who he's married to. Of course, he's you know, look at she's all crusty and everything. So you know, he's got to look elsewhere. And you know, hey, he prefers maybe. maybe we're only saying presumably, but that that's irrelevant. Um, remember they, the news media tried to spin it to um, Trump supporters? Okay. Um, remember they were saying at the beginning, oh, yeah, there's a Trump supporters um, going into her house and, you know, wanting to hurt her or whatever. You know, security, I, I, I'm sure that they have. Um, they probably see it, you know, in and out. They probably have these escorts when, when Nancy hits the town and leaves. <laughs> All you know, right, Pete. Thank you for the speculation. We'll, we will uh, collect the data and find out if you are the um, the new smartest listener. R.P. Wallingford. Hi, R.P. Hi, Todd. You know, I was going to confront that guy, Mike, a couple, uh, yesterday up with the, the corporate corporate greed guy. He's yes. a real liberal. Calls in. But I just was in McDonald's to get a coffee, and I have to tell you that I think this is the whole problem with, with everything that's going on right now. So this, this really bum-looking guy smelled the high heaven. I was in the bathroom. You could smell him. He was gross. All disheveled hair, you know, beard. He, he was just probably 30 years old. Hard to tell. Okay. Barely could walk. And I had to keep my distance. He was so gross. Got it. So I see him. He's pouring a drink. And I'm thinking, this guy's stealing this drink. So I watch him. And he starts walking out. And I said to him, well, did you pay for that? And he said, someone else did. I said, who paid for it? And he said, someone else. I said, who? So now the, the woman, I said to the woman up at the cash register, I said, did this guy pay for this drink? And she wouldn't answer the question. So there's a bunch of guys standing around around me, and he's confronting me. And, that, and then he kind of, he drifts out because nobody would answer the question. And I said, that guy just stole a drink. Does anybody care? And this guy, I looked at the guy in front of me. I said, could you help me out here a little bit? And he's like, for what? Why should I? You know, McDonald's has plenty of money. What? I said, yeah, but the guy's stealing. We're paying for that. Don't you care? He didn't care at all. He could care less. That's terrible. Terrible. Isn't that disgusting? I mean, that's I that's the new world, guy. RP. Yeah, yeah. That's where I'm we like, are. I said, you don't care that someone is walking out the back door with a drink? He's like, oh, well, look at the guy. He looks like he could use a drink. I said, yeah, well, I'm supposed to Well, pay buy for it, it for him then if that's how you feel, big right. guy. Yeah. Oh, I, why didn't all right, I, I got to go, RP. I'm sorry, but thank, thank you, you for the call. That's a great story. A sad story, but a great one. We're going to find out how the ride home. It is Friday after all. Now back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. I forgot to even mention this to you. Well, it was in the promo earlier. We're having Rob Sampson on now. Rob Sampson, state senator from Wolcott. And the most diligent defender 
of constitutional principles, the idea that we should have constitutional government. Now, that's a ludicrous idea in the state of Connecticut, like so far-fetched that there would be constitutional government or even government that pays lip service to the uh, principles that, that the founding was based on. But nevertheless, Rob is out there persevering. Thank you, sir, for joining us. I am delighted to join you as well, Todd. And it is true, the, uh, the faction of uh, constitutional advocates in the Connecticut General Assembly is a, a very small group and uh, sadly shrinking by the day. <laughs> but even if people lean that way a little bit, they can keep it quiet. But if they had it as a principle that they uh, quietly wanted to maneuver towards, that would be a nice thing to have a few of those as well, wouldn't it? It would be great, except, you know, the thing about being in the legislature is you're tested nearly every day. You've got to cast votes on things. And that's where we find out whether you're truly a limited government advocate, which I would say is even possibly more important than being a constitutional government advocate um, or not because you're going to be tested each day. And uh, I believe that uh, lip service is irrelevant. I want to see people that actually do <laughs> vote like uh, proud yeah. American uh, you know, patriots and not just say they are. Well, I mean, that's why I meant vote service. Vote service. That's what we need. What did you say was more important than constitutional government? Limited government. Limited I, government. I've really enjoyed listening the past couple of days. You've had some amazing callers uh, on, on both sides of this issue. This, that Dave earlier, I, I really would have enjoyed that uh, to have be in on that conversation. Yes, you could uh, have done a better guest, job with them. Yeah, your recent guest, Ben, uh, is fabulous. Uh, you know, carrying libertarian values into uh, town council. And uh, your gentleman yesterday from the, uh, the Mises Institute, uh, excellent. Um, and all of this conversation about uh, factions. And I would encourage anyone who really likes history to go read Madison's words in Federalist Number 10, which is all about that. Uh, and the, the problem we have in government today is that the government has too much power. Uh, you know, these factions are not the problem themselves. Factions, uh, Madison, I think, said, are nothing more than freedom itself. People have different opinions and they should fight for them. It's when the government gets in the position of being the decider yes. about who's going to win in those battles. And that can only be solved by having a limited and restrained government. Yeah, that's good. What, what stands out for you from memory about what Madison said? Well, he, the reason why he was talking about it is because he was trying to... Uh, about why we should have a Republican form of government versus a direct democracy. Mm. Uh, and that is because in a direct democracy, obviously, the, the, the faction with the most uh, members wins. Uh, and they're not necessarily right, or they shouldn't necessarily get their way, even if they are. Um, all factions should be allowed to survive because, as he said, factions are liberty. Um, and so he was trying to paint the picture of a Republican form of government being advantageous. Incidentally, you know, just since we're talking about it, one, one of my heroes in Connecticut politics is Tom Scott, who you have on all the time. And the mm -hmm. one issue I think he and I differ on is ballot initiative, because ballot initiative effectively is getting rid of representative government uh, and instead placing the people in charge of direct decision making. It sounds great on the surface. But there's a reason why we didn't, didn't didn't do direct democracy to begin with and why Madison fought against it. He said it was very much like judging uh, your own, uh, you know, uh, argument. You know, you, you're, you're at one side of the argument, but you also get to be the judge. Uh, and he said that's dangerous. And that's why representative government is advantageous. I can see that argument. But there is something nice about when the when you have an intransigent legislature that's totally rigged the way 
though it is now in Connecticut, that you can you could isolate a particular issue onto the ballot and thus um, rise up around it. That the problem is, I'm sorry, Todd. No, that's okay. Go ahead. I was going to. Oh, the problem is the same as we have in our no longer limited government, which is if you could narrow it down to only worthwhile issues to put on the ballot, or constitutional uh, then that might be okay. That's correct. The problem is you can't do that. And, you know, for everything that that uh, Tom or you or I would want to do, there are plenty of people on the other side of the political uh, you know, rainbow that would like to do even tremendous dangerous things. And they would probably be successful in a ballot initiative situation because the average citizen is not paying close attention to the minutia of policy. Uh, you know, a lot of things get passed because they feel or sound good. And that is not the way to make good policy. And we, we see that as you know, living proof every day as residents of Connecticut. We're talking to State Senator Rob Sampson from Wolcott. He is a the the strongest proponent in the state legislature and in the state Senate of having uh, us be pursuing limited government. I like that terminology instead of the bloated, bureaucratic, wasteful, squandering assets one that we have now that uses your your tax dollars as an election rigging scheme and and uh, that's why we like to have rob on to give us updates so rob i want to get a little update since the legislature has been in session now for what two weeks you guys have been back yep we started the first week of january so we are right now uh beginning the process of uh public hearings will probably begin next week uh, the first step as bills are proposed is that they get divvied up to the various committees, and then those committees have meetings to decide which of those ideas are going to go forward in the form of the hearings. So this uh, is the, out, be, the filtering process to find out what's worth pursuing or what's timely or whatever bias might come in. Uh, hang on, Rob. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll you can break down what's been happening or what bills stand out, whatever you want to tell us. Coming up on WTIC. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we don't have to break. Good. We can stick with it, Rob. So um, More time for Samson. I exactly. love it. Exactly. And more time for the ideas. So tell us what's um tell us what's going on. So, like what do you, what should people know? So just very briefly, I think it's very important for people to understand process and, you know, elections have consequences. You know, I think Obama is the one that coined the term, but I I I, like, I can't repeat it enough, Todd, because you know, we are in a situation where we have a extreme majority of Democrats in both the House and Senate, in the legislature and a Democratic governor. So they we are at their mercy, effectively. And the filtering process that you just mentioned is only about bias because the Democrats control every committee. They are the chair uh, of the House and the chair of the Senate on every committee. And therefore, they decide what bills, if any, go forward. And so when you say when, they agree when, with. When you say elections have consequences, this means that power at every level inside the legislative body changes over to the party that wins the election, that has the most members, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. If you are in the majority uh, as Democrats or Republicans, you get to decide the agenda. And the Democrats control every aspect of the agenda. They control what bills even get a hearing. I proposed 154 bills uh, this time around, Todd. I've got one scheduled for a public hearing, and it's a, a modest, uh, you know, DCF <laughs> uh, technical thing. You uh -huh. know, anything that I put in that would actually make real change to get us toward limited government, completely ignored by the majority. And I did promise you uh, in our, uh, you know, conversation earlier when we had uh, to discuss me being on today 
that I would have a list of crazy bills for you. And I do have that. So if oh, you're, good. If you're willing, I'll hit you. Sure. Some you of these it? you probably are aware of. Okay. Uh, the big one that, that kind of made news today was the fact that Democrats have proposed a bill that says that you uh, they're going to pay the travel expenses for people who come to Connecticut for the purpose of having an abortion if their state denies them that right. Can you imagine? So, so we will be paying taxpayers for the travel expenses for others to have abortions in Connecticut. Sorry about that, Rob. We're having some technical issues here today, and it's a shame to have to interrupt you. Hey. So let, let's get you going back at it again. Where did we leave off? Horrified. We were on your first item on your list of, of uh, what, what, what's the list called? Yes, it was a bill that would uh, effectively require Connecticut taxpayers to pay the travel expenses for those folks who come to Connecticut for abortions because they can't get one in their own state. Can you imagine? No, that's pretty, uh, that's just ridiculous. It, it's insane, yeah. There are several bills, uh, you know, regarding uh, reproductive rights. It's so funny because this bill, they had a big press conference, and uh, it was the Reproductive Caucus, they call themselves, that uh, announced this bill. <laughs> I think they're the Counter-Reproductive Caucus, if you ask me. Yes. But, so we're talking uh, about this bill that would... I'm sorry, I was just going to reset. We're talking to Rob Sampson, state senator from Wolcott, and he's got a list of the bad bills, the worst bills, of, I guess, are, of, that are being uh, pushed by somebody in the state legislature. So this first one is to pay for people to come to Connecticut from other states to get abortions. What, would be, what would be the qualifier, Rob, on that? Uh, I, I don't know the details of the bill. This is... Uh... Many things haven't gotten to that made. stage yet, huh? That's right. They're just one liner so far. We don't know what the details are, but okay. obviously it's to get a reaction and to and to uh, ingratiate this particular uh, group of legislators, the Reproductive Caucus, they to call themselves. virtue signal to a particular crowd. That's right. All right, what yeah, else to, do you to, have? Yeah, to uh, talk to their faction. Uh, so uh, we have lots of bills involving uh, uh, abortion, illegal aliens, gun control, everything. Uh, but let me just I'll zip through them fast and we can talk to interrupt me if you want to talk about anything. Um, illegals uh, having illegal aliens rather having the, the right to vote in Connecticut, a constitutional change, mm-hmm. um, expanding health care coverage for illegal aliens in the state of Connecticut. There's even a bill that would uh, make it uh, so that occupational licenses uh, can no longer be restricted for people who are not in the country lawfully when I, I don't know how you do that because you cannot lawfully work in this country unless you're you know you have permission <laughs> uh, if, you're, if you're in the country illegally you're not supposed to work that's how um, badly they want to make a bad law yeah that is how bad there are terrible housing uh, laws worse than we've seen in connecticut i think historically uh price controls rent caps uh a bill that would actually establish a right to housing uh, eliminating landlords' ability to evict folks. Uh, and there's even a bill that they tried to do last year that I successfully stalled, uh, but they're back again because that's what they do, and that would allow someone to put a daycare in a rental unit uh, despite the governor, the uh, the, uh, the landlord's um, uh, contract with them and even overruling local zoning. Um, the, the question there is, you know, who owns the property? Uh, you know, the, the Democrats make it quite clear that they have no respect for property rights whatsoever. 
Uh, there are terrible gun control bills, which I know have been the news. I'll, I'll just zip through those really quickly. Yeah, one minute, the governor, Rob. Yep, the governor wants to raise the age to purchase a gun to 21, limit the number of guns you can purchase to one per month, get rid of open carry, uh, increase bans on certain things. Um, there's a bill that would prohibit um, vac- or would allow vaccines to be administered to children that are as uh, young as 12 um, without their parents' consent, uh, free school meals, free tuition. Uh, there are lots and lots more, uh, but that's a good start for uh, your listeners to be concerned about. All right. Will you come back maybe next week and give us an update? I would like to. And I just wanted to quickly announce that I have a town hall meeting in Southington on February 6th, beginning at 630 at the Municipal Center. And people are welcome to come from all over if they want to come join me. Where do they find that on your Facebook page if they want details? They can find it at SenatorSampson.com or on my Facebook, Samson4CT. SenatorSampson.com. All right, Rob Sampson, State Senator from Wilka. Thanks for being here, sir. Thank you so much, Todd. Appreciate the opportunity. 860-522-9842. Bad bills. There's plenty of those. He's got a long list he could have gone on for a long time, I think. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.